Our scripture for today is John 20, 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, I am so grateful to be able to be here together. I'm so grateful that uh, these words on the screen, um, one of the reasons that we stand is not just like trying to think of things to do to change things up. Like the reason we're standing is because we're honoring these words as the words of God. Billy Graham was famous for saying at times when he picks up his Bible, he tries to imagine that the Apollo missions when they landed on the moon, that, you know, they, they get down and they're like, you know, Houston, we found a book. <laughs> and, and like that is, and then, you know, we're anxious to see what it says as it's coming back, you know, and we're waiting for them to land and, and to open the book and be like, hey, this is a book from another world. And, and Billy Graham says, like, that's how I try to think of the words of God, is that, uh, yes, they didn't come from the moon, they didn't come from another world, but, but they're from our God who exists outside of time, outside of all of the, we're, we're kind of like in the painting and he's the painter. And one of the things about today and us hearing these words is just an acknowledgement, like you totally might not feel any happiness in this room. Like uh, you, you yourself might not feel happy. You, you might not... Uh, you, you just might not be feeling it. And I just want to say, like, that's totally okay. Um, and 
there isn't like this magical moment in one sense for what we're stepping into today. But the way I would like to frame why we have so much reason to be hopeful, to have joy in the midst of like, ever since 2020, it just feels like the world hasn't been the same. And probably people would be like, it wasn't the same before that either. It's always felt broken. But I recently watched on Netflix the movie Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill. And I've always been fascinated by World War II and Winston Churchill and, and, um, and uh, Birdie, the king at the time and stuff. Um, but one of the things, and even the movie is named Darkest Hour, right? Um, but one of the things that is so interesting about Churchill, who is this super broken man who rises up for basically four or five years and then actually gets voted out of office after World War II, and then gets voted kind of back in as prime minister. But one of the things about that moment when Nazi Germany were taking over the entire world, especially Europe, and it felt like Europe had no hope, Winston Churchill was this guy that just inspired everybody, inspired courage, for an entire people to not give up, to never surrender, was one of his famous things. You know, he has a saying that says, um, if you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> keep going. Keep, keep going. Um, and one of the things that, was just a, that I was aware of watching this movie was, as long as Winston Churchill was prime minister, everybody had courage that they weren't going to give up. As long as Winston Churchill was this figure that was, was making decisions and, and speaking to them, they had courage that they weren't giving up. And it just struck me, it was like, that is part of why I am excited for today, is because Jesus is infinitely more significant than Winston Churchill. What Jesus did on Good Friday is far darkest than the darkest hour of World War II. And if Jesus is alive and well, the courage, the hope, the ability not to give up, not to feel like darkness has just swallowed us up. And where Winston Churchill kind of played this, this small role in history, Jesus is playing this big role in history when it seems like things are so dark, and Kevin did a great job sharing that even, when it seems things are so dark that if Jesus is alive and not prime minister but king, then we have hope. We have courage. We're not going to give up because he's leading the charge. And that's why we call the church Sacred Mission Church. It wasn't that we were just trying to sound old or, or just kind of trying to think of a church name that weren't other churches around us named, but it was actually believing that Jesus himself, alive and well, is on a sacred mission for us in rural central Iowa. It's not our mission, it's his mission, and we just get to be a part of it. And we just get to follow him as he leads the charge. And so Easter morning is exciting, but it didn't start exciting. So on the first Easter, 
The disciples didn't wake up and they're like, he's risen, he's risen indeed. And they change their clothes and they get together. It didn't start that way. So we've been preaching through the book of John uh, for over a year now and we're at the resurrection in the book of John. And so we're going to let John lead us through how it played out that first Easter morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. The verses will be up on the screen here. If you have your own copy of the Bible, you're welcome to turn there. We have some Bibles over here. I'd love for you to grab it. It's yours. Take it home. John chapter one or chapter 20, verse 1 starts by saying this. Now, on the first day of the week, which had been Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary goes early Sunday morning to the tomb, and without going inside, she can tell that it's been opened. And I was, this was over 10 years ago, I got to go to Israel, and we were actually on the bus, just like on the highway, we were like a, it's like a paved road, and the bus guy was like, hey, stop, 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 pull over. And there was actually a first century tomb close by to this intersection that we were at, and so I got out and took this photo, Um, it should be, we should have a photo, yes. Um, So this is a first century tomb with the stone rolled away. Um, and so you can see how like instantly you could tell it's been opened and this is, this is how they buried people in that part of the world at that time. And so, so Mary sees, and as soon as Mary sees this, she runs to get Peter and John. So she doesn't look inside. She actually just runs and goes and gets her brothers in Christ. She gets Peter and she gets John. Uh, John refers to himself here in this section as the one that Jesus loved. And you might be like, oh, he just loved one person? <laughs> yeah. And no, he loved all of his disciples. But John took delight to let people know that Jesus loved him. It was important to him. I don't think he was like trying to make himself seem more important than Peter. I think it was important to him to let people know, Jesus loves me. Uh, I'm, I'm a disciple that he loved. And even, like, John is a great writer. He's written one of the, the great gospels, one of the great works of, of literature. So John could say, hey, I'm the better writer of the group. Or he could say, hey, I'm one of the original disciples. But what John wants us to know is that he's simply a man loved by Jesus. That's how you should remember him. Which I think is awesome. So what Mary thinks has happened here is she thinks that one of the enemies of Jesus has stolen his body. Uh, Imagine the psychological state you would be in if someone that you love dearly and you've gone through an incredibly traumatic experience and they've died in a way that is traumatic and you love them dearly, and then you all get ready for the funeral, and you realize someone has stolen their body. I mean, like, that is, that's being gutted. I mean, you're, you're, you're just absolutely, what has just happened? And realize that Mary Magdalene 
was there for all six hours of the crucifixion of Jesus. So Mary Magdalene has watched her Savior slowly die over the course of six hours. And if that wasn't bad enough, in the earliest possible moments, when with the Sabbath ending at sunrise, the earliest possible moment she could go back to the cemetery, she realizes that he's gone. So she's certainly sad, but she's also maybe furious at who stole Jesus' body. She's probably really frustrated and um, probably many other feelings that we just don't even know about. But the only thing she knows to do is to run and find Peter and John. Verse 3 takes us into what happens. Look at verse 3 of chapter 20. So Peter went out with the other disciple after they hear from Mary, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. So John got there first. He reached the tomb and Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So if you remember that picture, like he's looking in, but he's not going inside. And there's kind of a a decent-sized room in there. A lot of times, multiple generations of families would be in a tomb. So so he's looking in there. Um, Verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they run to the tomb. John gets there first, but doesn't go in, but he looks in. He stopped in his tracks, and I think just these details, just so you know, like if you're making up a story, you don't share all these details. If you're making up a story, you're like, oh yeah, we went there, and he's alive. But these like, I got there first, and he got there, but he didn't look in, but I looked in. I mean, if you ever, like I'm really into hunting, and whenever like you get a deer down and you find it, you like start telling the most detailed story there I was, then this was happening, and this was happening, then I did this, and I did this, but I didn't look there, but then I looked here, you know, and it's just, and you, because you're so amped up telling this, you know, and it's like, whoa, I need, like, like, my wife does this all the time, give me the short version, you know, because I want to give her every minute detail of what happened, what I was thinking, what other people were thinking, what the animals were thinking, you know, like, I think I know that, right, um, and so this, just the very fact that they're playing out the details this way shows that maybe even years later as they're sharing this with each other or days later and this is getting written down. Like, it's such an important moment that these, these very fine-tuned details even testify to the accuracy of, of this happening. So Peter gets there, and Peter's a man of action, so he goes into the tomb. And maybe Peter is ready to fight. Maybe he's like, maybe the guys taking Jesus are still after it. Maybe they're still doing something. Or, you know, so he goes into the tomb, And all they see is this folded burial clothing. Then John, it says, saw and believed. Now, we don't know the the nature of his belief right now because verse 9 tells us it seems like they still don't get it. And this kind of happens sometimes. It's like if you were making this up, there wouldn't be confusion. But man, sometimes when like something you never expected to happen happens, it's confused. Uh, did you believe? Well, I, yeah, I believe something, but it, it, it seems like at least John feels that maybe something positive has happened. 
but then they go back to their homes. And, uh, you know, not only... When, when you think about... It doesn't say that Peter believed in this moment. And I think one of the things to realize is, like, Peter, fisherman, probably a man's man, Peter multiple times, you know, tries to cut a guy's ear off, which sounds like he probably tried to cut his head off, and the guy moved, and he got his ear instead... And Peter is like, I'm going to do anything to protect Jesus. And then when the moment really mattered, he denied Jesus three times. And potentially is just, I mean, if you, you know, like, I have really close friends in this room. And if I, like, in their moment of greatest need, went the opposite direction, I'd be like, like, feel a lot of shame and not want to be around them and not want to see them. Because it's like, man, I can't believe what I did when they most needed me. And then, so Peter is, fresh. I mean, that was just two days ago. And this would be Peter's opportunity to actually just even be around the body of Jesus. And, um, and we just don't know what Peter is feeling right now. And w- whether he is, like, what his moment is right now. And we'll get to Peter in, in a couple weeks and how him and Jesus have a man-to-man conversation that is incredible. Um, but the woman, Mary Magdalene, who has been the center of of a lot of things, what Jesus did, look what happens in verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So Peter and John have gone home, and Mary just stays weeping outside the tomb. She, I was trying to think about this last couple days, she probably wept her eyes out for over six hours on Friday. I mean, and she probably cried most of Saturday. And she's probably a woman that maybe would feel like, I don't have any tears left. And then when she sees that tomb, the disciples leave, it says she just stood outside and just wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So at some time, we don't know if it was an hour later, we don't know how long she stood there and just wept. But then at some time, she herself moves into the tomb to to look. And when she looks, she sees two of the most powerful beings that God has ever created, angels. It would make people just utterly freak out when they see them. These angels are all in white. There's no blood. She's seen so much blood over the last couple of days. There's no blood. They are white as snow. There's no dirt or mud on them. And remember, angels have never sinned. So Jesus had to become, Jesus chose to become a man so that he could live the perfect life in our place that we should live but can't. So he became a a man to rescue mankind. He's fully God, becomes fully man. Angels have have never sinned, as far as we can tell, and are, are older than us. Angels don't procreate, so it means that they were all created at the same time. They all have the same birth date. And then demons are angels who did fall. 
Satan convinced them to do a rebellion, and so there are many, many, many demons. But so these are angels who have been around from, from the beginning, from shortly after the beginning, and have seen every demonic thing that's ever happened, seen everything that Satan has ever done. And there are two angels that are just in there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. I mean, gosh, I would love to see video footage of that. <laughs> like, what was that like? What did that look like? What was Mary's response? What was their response? And don't forget Mary's story. And if you don't know Mary's story, that's okay. In the book of Luke, it tells us that Mary had been possessed by seven demons, fallen angels who have no truth in them, are only about destroying us. They hate what, how God loves us. They are all about destroying us, lying to us, telling us terrible things, telling us to do terrible things. And Mary, and I don't know if anyone in here has ever been possessed by a demon, Mary was possessed by seven demons. So to know the, the horror of what she had experienced, to, to know um, the death and destruction that they were seeking to lead her into, and the only way she got free from that was that Jesus said, get out, leave. Demons are scary, and they're scared of Jesus. And Mary Magdalene had this experience where Jesus lit up her world, truly, drove out the darkness. And I think it's very appropriate that in God's design, he had that person Mary Magdalene, the one most probably of all the people in the inner circle, the one most firsthand experience of the destructive power of darkness, be the first one to meet the risen Savior who had just defeated death. And two angels get to come and be like, hello, ma'am. And they knew her story. And so something she would never forget, and I think something the angels would never forget, is like, it was cool Mary was able to be the first one with all the firsthand experience that she had with demonic darkness to be the first one to see the one who had just defeated that, the king of light. Such powerful things. Look at verse 13. They said to her, the angels, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. So she still doesn't know he's alive. They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Which is a fascinating thing for her to say in two, two angels. She's like, I want my Savior. They've taken him away. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing alive. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Which I think is so intimate and powerful. And, you know, she's like, I'll carry his body somewhere. Please, if you took him, let me know. In her mind, if the gardener removed his body, she wants to go get his body. And man, I can only imagine in this moment, it was everything Jesus could do to hold it in. <laughs> to, hey, hey, who are you looking for? He still has the scars on his hands. He still has the wound on his side, as we'll see uh, in, in the next week or so with Thomas. And uh, maybe one of the reasons that she doesn't recognize him is that he has a glorified body. So sometimes people wonder, like, hey, if I only knew this person when they were in their 60s, in heaven, will they look like they're in their 30s? So it's like, oh, yeah, that is you. You know, like, I kind of knew you looking a little different, but now that I know it's you, I know it's you. That's a possibility, is just his, his resurrected body looks slightly different. There's other explanations of why she doesn't recognize him, but but. Regardless of those things, Mary doesn't recognize him until verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. The inflection, the tone, the way he says her name, she knew instantly. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them. We'll pause there. So as soon as Jesus says her name, she knows it's him. And she says in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means that her mother tongue is Aramaic, which is really, people think that, that Jesus knew Greek, well, he, he knows all languages, but he spoke Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Aramaic was kind of like the trade language of the first century, and uh, it's, it's very likely that Mary Magdalene's story and all that stuff, she was probably well acquainted with people that were traveling and kind of like hung around the, kind of like the... Um, the rest stops and stuff like that. Um, and so for her to know Aramaic fluently, and then a lot of times when you're surprised, you go into your mother tongue if you're someone who knows other languages and speaks in other languages. So, so she quickly says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I love that she calls him that because, you know, he taught her a new way to live. He taught her about salvation. He taught her freedom. All she is now, her whole life, has been radically changed. And all she knows is his power and him teaching her a new way to live. And I love how Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. John doesn't write, then Mary ran forward and gave him a huge bear hug. You know, like, he doesn't write that. But what I love is what he does write is, is he says, Hey, I've got something for you to do. You know, you're giving me a big bear hug. This is awesome. But I, like, I've got something for you to do. But the one she saw die, the one she watched just all of darkness give its biggest swing at to try and knock out Jesus for once and for all, Jesus has killed death. Her Savior is alive. And Jesus surely is laughing as, as Mary is rejoicing, probably still weeping, but now weeping out of joy. And then the second part of verse 17 says, I am ascending to my father and your father, 
to my God and your God. So this is Jesus telling this to Mary. I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, verse 18, and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. He said these things to her. And man, my big question, encouragement, pleading with every single soul in this room is, can you say, well, first of all, can he say, can he say to you, I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God? What Jesus knows is he has actually just opened the way. Jesus has said earlier in the book of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he, is just, he has just victoriously conquered death, the ultimate punishment of sin. Alexander the Great was great. He conquered everybody. There was no army that could stand against him. He conquered everybody and at the age of 33, the greatest enemy that's never been conquered effortlessly conquered him. Death. Alexander the Great, no one could stand against him. He couldn't stand against death. It conquered him at the age of 33. Jesus, 300 years later, at the age of 33, conquers death. And this is the only way that he can say to somebody like Brandon, I'm going to my father and your father. I'm going to my God, and he's your God. He's your God. And he could, he's your God. He's your God. Can he say that to you? And then when Mary says, I have seen the Lord, can you say that about him? Can, can you say that about him? And one of the things that is so fascinating is you can hear all of this you can recognize that Jesus did these things and you can still be a thousand miles away from him. You can still be rejecting Jesus. You can still be fully responsible for your sins. You can still be separated from God in a way which will lead to an eternal separation from him, known as hell, total absence of God's presence. Satan and the demons, so get this, even the demons know that Jesus is alive. So knowing that Jesus is alive is good, but it is dreadfully incomplete when salvation and eternal life is on the line. So uh, I was just sitting next to Brandon and my daughter Grace. My, that chair right there that I was sitting in, I look at that chair and I'm like, that is a chair. My parents taught me that was a chair. That is a chair. I don't deny that that's a chair. It looks like it would hold me up. Okay. Oh, the worship team's coming. They're not rushing the stage, I promise. <laughs> That's it. He brought out the chair illustration. <laughs> Done with him. Anyway, okay. So that chair even looks like I could sit in it, and it appears that it would hold my weight. Um, and I think sometimes people look at Jesus like I'm looking at that chair. They're like, you know what? That looks like a savior. A guy ought to put their trust in him. Looks like he could probably hold people up. 
And I'm looking at that chair like a lot of people look at Jesus. They're not denying him. They're not denying what he's done. But they're missing a huge thing. What faith is. How Jesus could tell Mary, I'm going to your God. Going to your Father. And she can say, you're my Lord. You run the shots. You're the center of my life. You, you teach me. There's a whole world out there that wants to teach you. And he, it's like, Lord, I want you to teach me. You get the final say. You get the first say. And what faith is, is actually sitting in the chair. What faith is, is not just being like, yeah, I'm not an atheist. Yeah, I know that's Jesus over there. But faith is actually putting the full weight of your life. Like, if I sit in that chair, especially after I share all this stuff, and if I just like sat back with all my weight and it like collapses and I fall on the ground, I would feel really embarrassed. Um, and, but that is faith. And this is the invitation of Jesus is like, I can support your whole life. I've got you. Put the weight of your life on me. Believe in me. Call me Lord. Let me call the shots. You, it'll be a wild ride where he's going to take you. And in the case that if Jesus is not alive, you will be embarrassed. You're all, you're all in at that level. If Jesus is not alive, you're going to be embarrassed. And Paul was that way. He's like, if Jesus isn't alive, don't do church. Go home. Watch NASCAR. Do anything else. Don't assemble. But if Jesus is alive and well, then we're all in. And Paul's like, he's alive. And everybody, he's alive. And there are people in this room, they're like, I haven't seen him with my eyes yet, but I have seen him work in my life, in the life of those around me. And man, I for each of us, would today be a day where we trust him, we're all in, full weight of our lives on him. Would every soul in this room trust Jesus in that way? Would every soul in this room be made alive through Jesus who is alive? And once again, it's like, well, what does it look like to sit in the chair? What does it look like to actually have that type of faith? I don't want to be like demons who just believe. or like, yeah, he's alive. I want to actually be his. I want to be saved by him. And man, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. All that you have to do is just say to him, I'm yours. Give him my life to you today. Trust you as my savior. Give my life to you. And we've had people do that this month. And man, would you do that today? And let us know. Let us know, man, because there's going to be all sorts of attack thrown your way. All sorts of stuff will happen, but we want to genuinely walk with you. So can I pray for us along these lines? Jesus, I thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you're alive and well, and you're on the move here this morning. For those who are giving their life to Jesus today, man, Lord, I just pray that even if they're trying to put up that one last wall or that one last excuse of like, well, probably this is the reason you would not actually want me as yours. Lord, would you just let those silly things fall down 
would you just communicate very clearly to their hearts that you want them, you have a plan for them, you have a purpose for them, you are alive and well so that they can be alive and well. You tell us that you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west when we come to you. Eternal life is promised to us. We can have the treasures that even kings would desire, but we humbly lay at your feet because we desire you. Would you change all of us this morning? Bring us all to yourself. Jesus, we pray. Amen.